looking at uh, 1 John chapter 4 today for a few moments, and I don't have a lot of time to bring you into the context, but let me just tell you a few things about the text that we're about to read. We're starting in verse 7 to 14, but John was a direct disciple of Jesus. He also was an apostle as Jesus commissioned him. He wrote the gospel of John, which we know, one of the four gospels. He also wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. That's why they're called John, and his name is John, so you can see the correlation. But John wrote these uh, at the end of his life, most believe in his 90s, and he was writing this particular letter to a group of churches that had been experiencing all kinds of false teaching through false teachers. And some would say that there was a, a Gnostic type of teaching that had come through the church. And so John is sort of laboring in his writing to try to help them understand the distinction between not only false teaching, but the fruit of false teaching. And he's calling believers back to a place of love, not just affectionate love that we think of culturally, but agape love unconditional love, self-sacrificing, self-giving love. And he gives them distinguishing markers for what that looks like. What does God's love really look like? What is the, the fruit of someone's life that really believes and follow, follows Jesus? What does it look like? And so John is helping them through this letter because some of the doctrines that have been flowing through their community have caused people to separate Jesus of Nazareth as a natural man and the Messiah Christ as sort of a spirit being. And one of the strange thoughts that they had was the spirit being Messiah Christ had come upon Jesus of Nazareth to sort of accomplish his mission and then had come off of him. It's very strange Gnostic teaching, but the fruit of it was that they didn't believe Jesus of Nazareth was the Messiah. I mean, just when... when Doctrines of demons, when false thoughts begin to uh, manipulate people's mind, it really, what it does is it just causes us to not believe Jesus at all. We start to question the whole thing, the whole story. And so John is addressing this deeply and he brings them back to who God is and that God is love. He brings them back to what Jesus has done and what that means for who he is. And of course, if we know who God is, and we see him best through his sending of his son, Jesus Christ, what that will do is give us a deep desire and appetite to want to be like the one that we're following. And so these are the things that he's going after. And I want to read to you today, verse 7 to 14, and here's what the Bible says. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and he sent his son to be the propitiation, that means atoning sacrifice, for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this, we know that we abide in him and that he in us because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the father has sent the son to be the savior of the world. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. A couple quick observations today. And the first is very, very simple. And that is in verse eight, God is love. 
You may not know this, but this is actually the third and the final expression that John gives throughout his writings concerning God's essence. And the first one is found in 1 John 1.5, where John says, God is light. It doesn't say God has light. It says God is light. And what he's talking about is God's holy nature, that God is pure and undefiled. And he contrasts light and darkness, good and bad. And all that God is and what emanates from him is light, is glory, is holiness, is purity. And so he says, God is light. There's no darkness in him at all. And in John chapter four, his gospel in verse 24, he says, God is spirit. And this means that he's not merely flesh and blood. He's not limited to time, space, and matter. He is outside of it because he's the creator, we're the creation. And then finally in verse eight, what we're reading today, he says, God is love. And the Greek word for love here is agape. And there are seven Greek words that are used in the, in the New Testament and throughout Greek literature for the word love. Four of them are primarily understood, but this one stands out from all of them. It's agape. And when the ancient people in this time, when they heard the word agape, because they didn't speak English, and so he would say, God is agape. When they heard that, they literally thought charity. But the reason I'm not going to use that definition today is because if I said God is charity, you'd think of the Salvation Army or <laughs> you would think of the Red Cross. We, we don't use the word charity. It's not normally something that we say. And so what, are, what do we think about when we think of agape, the kind of love that clearly defines who God is and what God does? Well, let me give you a, a definition. Agape is a deliberate choice for another's highest good that is demonstrated through action. I want to say that again. Agape or love is a deliberate choice for another's highest good demonstrated through action. And by saying God is love, God is agape, what we are saying is that it is more than an attribute of God. It is more than just an action of God. Love is the essence of God. It means that it is his substance and it is inerrant in everything that God does and says. So for example, when we look in the Bible, for, for instance, like in the Old Testament, and we see something that we don't understand, like you see some type of decision that God made or some action that he calls his people to take, and you get a little confused because our version of love does not, does, this doesn't fit into that. But what we know, because God is love, it means that whatever God said and whatever God did, it means inherently in that decision or that saying that that literally is loving, even though sometimes we don't understand it. If God is love, God defines love. You understand? God defines it. And so when we get confused about it, it doesn't mean that we're right because that's usually what the pride of man does is like we go, well, that can't be loving. But if God's the one that defines love and he's the author of love, he's the one that understands love because love emanates from him. Love is inerrant in him. Then he's right and we're wrong. If our version doesn't match what we see or what we hear, then we always have to go with God's version. God is love. Just as the sun is hot and bright and water is wet, they are inseparable, so God is love. This is what it's talking about. But God being love does not mean that love is God. And I'm saying this humanly speaking, all right? Humanly speaking. In every culture, the word love is used to define some subjective quality or activity. For example, in our culture, we say things like, Love wins. I, I want to say it in a way that sort of uh, I hear, love wins, man. 
<laughs> love wins. Or we hear this a lot, don't we? Love is love. I thought love was love. I, I, have you ever thought when people say stuff like that, you just sort of think through it, like love is love. You're like, yeah, I, I, did you need to say that? And then we say things, I mean, I've heard uh, from people that are older than me, uh, there's a song, All You Need Is Love. Uh, there's this band called the Beatles. I think they were a thing. <laughs> like, hey, listen, don't get mad. I just don't know, okay? And it's really not my genre that I listen to anyway, so don't, don't get upset. But anyhow, anyhow uh, they sing the song, All You Need Is Love. Well, what kind of love were they t- talking about? You think they were talking about agape? Were they talking about self-giving, self-sacrifice, having someone else's best interest in mind? Do you think that's literally what the Beatles were singing to? I don't, I don't think so, ladies and gentlemen. I think they were talking about something entirely different. But we say love wins. We say love is love. We say all these things, but we do not mean agape. We are not going by the definition of the author and the one that literally is love. We're not talking about what, what God is. We're not talking about what God gives. We're not talking about what God does. We're not talking about the definer and the author of which love can be seen and understood. We're talking about whatever it is that we mean because it's subjected and interpreted by the actual person saying that. And so we have all this confusion about what love is and I think it messes with us whether we know it or not. So if God is love and he is, then he defines it for us and all of his creation, which of course we can only find in his word. And so the second point of course is God revealed his love to us. Look at verse nine. By this, the love of God was manifested in us. And here it is. God sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sin. In in these verses, we literally find the meaning of Christmas, which is what? God loves us. And that's what it's saying. And, and he showed it by sending Jesus. He revealed it. He didn't just say it. He, he, did, he isn't just love. He showed it. So if he is that, then it comes from him. And this is the greatest demonstration of love that we will ever know. Now, there's a passage that we read at Christmas time, and we actually sang it. And I want to share it with you and, and point something out. Isaiah 9 and verse 6. Look at this. For a child will be born to us, A son will be given to us and the government will rest on his shoulders and his name will be called Wonderful. Did you get into that song today? A wonderful count. You ought to. It's amazing. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, eternal father, prince of peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of his peace and on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Look what the first verse says here, verse six. For a child will be born to, a son will be given to, this is the incarnation of Christ. This is where God became man. See, every human being is set on a path of destruction and total separation from a loving God. And God intervened in human history. God came down and he became a man. He he made himself vulnerable as a child, as a baby. But friends, he's coming back as a king in glory. Just because he came as a baby, it does not mean that's what he is. He added humanity to his divinity. And he did that for us. 
He didn't do it for him. He did it for us because why? God is love. God was giving himself to us. It says, for a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. The love of God is pure and holy. But sometimes our version of love, it distorts even a loving God. Our version can distort who God is. It happens to me and I believe it happens to you just by living in a broken world, just by having so many versions of this thing that we call love. So when people hear that God loves them. And it's not just our culture, but it's every culture. When they hear that God loves them, they may think that God is content with who they are and how they are. We may think, well, God just loves me. And what that means to a person in their mind, they might think this, and I'm sure I thought it before I knew Christ, is that he loves me just the way I am. And and there's just nothing wrong with me. Friend, Jesus came because he loved us and he was committed to changing and transforming us so that love could be realized in relationship. And so listen to this. this, There's something that I think C.S. Lewis says in his book, The Problem with Pain, that I think will help us with this. And I don't recommend reading this book if you're easily offended (laughs) because this will mess with you intellectually. This book is a powerful book. And this is what he says. Put on your seatbelt. He said, we were made not primarily that we may love God, though we were made for that too, but that God may love us, that we may become objects in which the divine love may rest well-pleased. To ask that God's love should be content with us as we are is to ask that God should cease to be God. Now follow his thinking. It's a little hard to read this. Because he is what he is, his love must, in the nature of things, be impeded and repelled by certain stains in our present character. And because he already loves us, he must labor to make us lovable. I will continue. What would we hear and now call our happiness is not the end God chiefly has in view, but when we are such as he can love without impediment, we shall in fact be truly happy. God's love for us is not merely about happiness. It's not about prevention. It's not about protection from bad things. It is about redemption. It is about God making wrong things right and him being the only one that can. And that's the story of Christmas. That's why Jesus came. That's why Jesus had to come because there's an impediment. There's a barrier. There's a block between our love being exchanged and expressed with a holy, righteous, pure God. And there was only one way for that wall to come down and it came down through Jesus Christ. Love came down. John goes into giving us three reasons why Jesus sent, was sent by the Father. First, he says that we might truly live. That's what he said. Jesus came that we might truly live. I'll tell you what, everybody's alive, but if you don't have Christ, you're not living. You're not living, not the way you were created and not for who you were created for. And then he says that we might also be forgiven of our sin. We walked away in our sin, but Jesus provides a way, the redemption. Sin has to be dealt with by a righteous and a holy God. See, God is perfectly love. God is perfectly just. God is perfectly holy. And all of these things are actually part of him at the same time in every way and everything that God does. He is perfectly all of these things at the same time. 
And he is the one that can balance this out. But we have the problem with sin and Jesus is the one that came to deal with it so that this love of God and all that he is can actually be realized by you and I. Without Jesus coming, God might be loved, but we would not know his love except that we could actually receive it through Jesus giving his life for, for us. And so Christmas is half the story. And we're not gonna wait till Easter to preach the cross and the resurrection because that's why we celebrate. That's why we practice Advent. That's why we prepare our hearts because we stand before a wonderful God, a mighty God, a loving God who can't help himself but to love us. But he is committed to making us lovable. He also says this about Jesus that we might spread his love in the world with everyone else because we human beings are the object of his love. But so many are confused and conflicted about God's love because it's often based on circumstances or feelings. It's often based on these things. And so we go through loss and pain and betrayal and sickness and abuse. And, and, and we can ask the question, and you've asked before, and so have I. When you go through pain and difficulty, there might be this temptation to say, well, where is this loving God? Where is this loving God? Pastor Ben, you preach that God is love. Well, I don't feel loved. I don't feel liked. I don't feel seen. I don't feel worthy. I don't, in fact, I don't feel anything. I feel numb. If God is love, then where is God? But see, friends, what happens is we're confused about what love is because we are filtering God through just our present circumstances. And so we indict people and we indict God even in that he cannot be loving if I'm not getting what I think I need. See, sometimes God doesn't answer what it is that we're asking for. Sometimes that, is, that isn't the answer. Have you ever asked God for something and later to realize that literally was not what you needed? We're all growing up. Have your children ever asked you for something and you didn't give it to them because you knew that if you gave it to them, it would do what? It would spoil them. It would turn them into something that, uh, that you don't want. It would cause them to think things and believe things and come back for more things. And you know that that's not right for them. It's not good for them. But if we filter God through our asking and not receiving of the thing that we think would maybe define him being loving in our life, once again, we've distorted God through our experience instead of trusting God that he is what he is and he can be no other. He is love. And he shows it best through Christ. So if you ever wonder where the love of God is, the love of God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. What he paid for was eternal and not temporary. What he paid for was eternal and it was weighty. And that's why, listen, I don't want to ruin your Christmas. I, I, I love Christmas season, don't you? Some of you are like, come on, Ben. What about the Christmas movies and all the things? Some of you got magic pajamas for your family and all, and, 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 and you need to do all that. And I want you to have a great Christmas season. And I think that is all wonderful, even if I don't practice all the same things you do. And I don't. <laughs> I probably do some. All of that, the, the season is, is, is great. And we come to church and we go, Jesus is the reason for the season. And it rhymes and it sounds cute and it's true. But the, the weightiness of Christmas, friends, the weightiness of it, while we're going through all that, while we're enjoying friends and family and the wonderful things that we like, it, it, we, ha the, we have to let the weight of Christmas absorb into our spirit and say, God, I thank you. 
wow, I need to be reminded. This isn't some like fictional story. This is a reality that we are literally gonna enter into when we meet Jesus at the end of our, of our life. And I don't want anybody to be surprised when they get there. Or like, oh, this is really real. Yeah, it was. It was always real. That's why Jesus came. We're not part of some religion. We're part of a reality. We profess our faith in Christ knowing that God's love is seen in Christ. This, this, your life may not go the way you want. Things may not happen like you want. I, I know we know this, but Christmas reminds us that there is a bigger story, that, that there's a bigger problem called sin and Jesus paid the full payment and, and he came. And, and so we surround ourselves around this, this vulnerable baby and we just have this awe and wonder and we go, my gosh, God did that for me. God came for me. God loved me. I mean, God, can you imagine the constraints of God the Son putting on flesh? He stepped out from glory and he put on these human constraints that maybe is normal to us, but certainly not to him. Why did he do that? Because he loved you. Because he loved me. The love of God cost him. It cost him everything. We look sometimes for a response from God as proof of love rather than his initiation toward us eternally in Christ. The center of the gospel message is not man's love for God, but rather God's ridiculous love for mankind. God loves you. And if you haven't heard it recently or you haven't said it to anybody recently, let me say it to you. God loves you and Jesus proved it. You need not look to any other thing to know that God loves you. Look to Christ. Look to the baby that was born. Look to the cross for which your Savior died upon. Look to the resurrection and see that God's love is found in Christ redeeming you and I. Redeeming means that he's making all things right. He's setting things back right because we can't. There is nothing we can do to make it right. That, that's why my final point to you today is very, very simple, is that we must receive God's love. We must receive God's love. Friends, we cannot assume it. We cannot assume God's love. We must absolutely receive it. The Advent season reminds us to look up. One of the things I love about Christmas is it is a time for which it is inescapable that we must look to God. And even non-believers or people that don't, aren't sure that Christ is, is real and Christmas is the story that is true and, and historically speaking and spiritually uh, real and, 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 and in the future going to play itself out and manifest as we truly believe that it will. Even for those that do not believe, they, they, it's inescapable. <laughs> it seems like no matter how many times people try to take the Christ out of Christmas, it, it really doesn't matter because in one way or another, Christ is being pointed to. I, I know people get a little upset and they think, you know, we get, we get upset about how you can't say Christmas or you got to say holidays or whatever. But uh, And we're like, I'm going to say Christmas and not happy holidays. <laughs> I mean, you do you. But, but my point is that God is using this season no matter what people try to do to take him out of anything. We, we try to take God out of his entire creation. God made all this. There's no separation. Man cannot separate themselves from the one that created them. We try all the time and we get upset about it. 
But the reality is this, don't forget this, God is a big God. God is a big God and God really loves people and he loves people that don't love him and he is moving after them. He's pursuing them. The Bible says Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. You know what that means? It is not about us begging God and then finally he sent Jesus. It's not about you and I getting our act together. And then finally God says, well, I might as well respond to them. This is what the passage says. It says not that we have loved God, but that God loved us. And so everything we give back to God is in worship to him because of what he gave to us. There is nothing we offer to God that he didn't first give. And that's what Christmas can be for us is a holy response to an almighty and an all-loving God, to say, God, thank you that you love me and personalize it, would you? Would you personalize it? Would you look unto God in your prayer time and, and even sometimes during this season, close your eyes, say, thank you. Thank you that you love me. Everybody else out of the way, all the other things out of the way, just thank you that you love me. Just let that absorb into your heart. God loves me and I receive that love. And so two things today as I close. Number one is that if you're here today or you're watching online and you do not know the love of God personally in Christ, meaning that you've not surrendered your life to Jesus, if you've never done that, I I know a lot of you have. I I know many of you and you love God. And I'm so thankful to be a part of this family of people that truly love Jesus. I know we do. But if you're here and you do not know personally, intimately, you do not know the love of God in Jesus Christ. You have not given your life to him. This is where we place our faith. This is where we give our life. There's nothing else in this world that is worth giving our life to and giving our life for. There is nobody else that can have this place. There is nothing else worthy of this spot but to put our life into Christ, to say, I am yours. You're the one that I've been searching for. But you know, what if I told you today that you don't have to search for love because love's been seeking and searching for you? It's not that we have loved God, but it's that God loves us and he proved it by sending Jesus Christ as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Do you have a sin problem? Go ahead and say amen, not because you like it. Go ahead. You have a sin problem? Well, there's there's a solution for our sin. We have a relationship problem with God. Guess what? There's a solution for that problem. It's It's a problem no more unless we allow it to remain. So friends, if you're here today, Here's what I would ask you to do after the service, come forward. Pray a prayer of surrender with one of our pastors. Give your life to Jesus. Don't let Christmas pass by. Don't let today pass by. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. And so for those of you today, maybe you came and you were not interested in making a confession of faith. You're not interested in in saying, Jesus, I'll give you my life, but there's something in your heart and it is the Holy Spirit telling you, yeah, today is the day for you to do that. You maybe didn't wake up thinking that, but you might leave here today knowing that. And I encourage you to come, come up after the service. Make Christmas real. Make it about what it really is about. It's about Jesus and his love for you. And for the rest of us, can I tell you today that even if you love Jesus and you know his love, that you and I both, we need to be reminded today to receive his love. When we look at the Christmas story If it doesn't overwhelm you, let's pray that he causes us to be overwhelmed. Let's ask God that we would feel his affection for us. 
John actually says here in 1 John chapter 3, he says, how great is the Father's love that he has lavished on us that we might be called children of God. How great is the Father's love that he has lavished on us in Christ that we might be called the children of God. I'm so thankful. I'm so proud to be a Christian, not in the wrong sense, but just that, that, he, that he found me and I responded to him and that I know him and walk with him. And today, receive the Father's love. Maybe you need to hear that, that you're loved today. And you don't feel that way by other, from other people. Or you've had a deficit. You've had a loss. You've had something that is causing you to think less of yourself, less of your situation, less of your life. God loves you. He loves you. But you have to receive it. I, with my wife, we, um, I married Bridget when I was 24 and she was 27 and she had two boys and I I got the privilege of adopting them. And as a mother, she loved them. She loved them well. Uh, They just were devoid of a father, but they certainly knew a mother's love. When I came along, I I thought, what can I add to this beautiful family? And and I realized that God had made me for such a thing and it was a privilege. And, And so I was so excited. I was so excited to give them love. I mean, at 24 years old, whatever I had, you know, I'm just forcing it. You know, I love you. I love you so much. Let's do this and let's do that. And don't you know, I, lo- I mean, I would say it all the time. I love you. So excited. And, and at first they were, re- it seemed like they were receiving it. But then before you know it, 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 there was a season of time where they just didn't know. They just didn't know how to acclimate to having a, a father. And I was, you know, it was hard for me and, and I would see them having this with their mother, but not with me. And, and I realized over a period of time, you know what the issue was that we had in relationship? It, it, was, it was that they didn't know how to receive love from a father. See, I could give the love, I could give it. And, and, and friends, I did. I lavished whatever I had, I gave it. I gave it and I pushed it and I pushed it hard. But it didn't matter how hard I pushed the love, they still had to do what? They had to, they had to receive it. Love given does not mean love received. God is, God is seeking and, and he's wanting to save. God is wanting to give love to us. And, and even for us that have received salvation, even the, for us that have said, yes, I need a savior. But sometimes God is trying to love us as a father and, and we're not receiving his love. Maybe we don't understand his love. But I would tell you today that God wants to heal those places with us too. And sometimes he does it when we're 30 or 40, or 50. He knows what to do and and when to do it. Would you stand with me as I close? Please, if you do not know Jesus and you want to make your relationship with him real this season, come up after the service. We're with you. We're here for you. But for the rest of you, I want to tell you this, is that I was praying for the 9 a.m. service, and I sensed that there is in, maybe a few of us are in need of a family reconciliation. And you came into the service today and maybe you were even heavily thinking about this last night, but prophetically, I would tell you that the Lord is committed to reconciliation through your life. And I had this supernatural sense that God was gonna touch your heart to do something that you don't feel like is gonna bring any fruit in a relationship that you have. Just naturally, there's nothing's going to happen. If you call them or if you email or if you do this, nothing's going to happen. But there's a supernatural sense that I have today that as we extend ourselves by faith, that God would do what we cannot do. 
And so I prophesy over some of you today, if you walked in and that thing is heavy in relationship with some people in your family today, I encourage you in the Lord to extend yourself towards them and watch what the Lord will do. And the second was healing. Uh, you, you, there's a few of you, you're in, you're in pain. Internally, you're in pain. Not just physically, but you need the comfort of God. And we're gonna pray for the supernatural comfort of God where the Lord will reveal to you that he has you in his hands. God has you. And you know that, Pastor Ben, I know that in my, in my mind, but it's that you need to sense that. And God's the giver of it. He's the giver of it. He can give to us what we simply just cannot do for ourselves. And I believe also there was someone I was praying for and maybe you lost your job or something happened with your business and you're in need of provision. And you're looking at the new year with some anxiety and you're wondering what's going to happen. And I just hear the Lord saying, I'm going to provide for you. And you don't need to spend this Christmas season worrying about it. God's got you. God's got you. And let's pray that today. If that's for you, if any of that's for you, just put your hands out to the Lord if it's for you. And if it's not, pray with me. Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus that you sent Christ for us and that a baby was born vulnerable in the way that he was and he lived a sinless life and he died in our place on a cross. He was raised to new life on the third day and he ascended to be at the right hand of the Father ever living to intercede for us. Today we tell you that we are grateful and we thank you for your love. We receive it today. We receive your love today and for any watching or here I pray that you would that you would make your love so real if they do not know it. Make your love so real if they do not know it. Now we pray over provision and reconciliation and for supernatural comfort for any of us in the room and online that need that today. We prophesy that in the name of Jesus. Provision, healing, and reconciliation as it would be from the spirit of the living God. We receive that too in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. amen. God bless you and Merry Christmas, guys. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Northwest Church, go to our website, nwcfoursquare.org, or download our app in any of the app stores by searching Northwest Foursquare Church.